0: Yo, is this thing on? Man, whatever. Walk with me. Welcome back to Walk with TFB. Tim Bryson here, and as y'all know, I'm a black millennial who is eager to have unfiltered conversation with authentic people, centered on education, sport, and culture. Today, we are walking with a doctoral candidate, former NCAA All-American and one of my fitness accountability partners. An Indy native, he moved to Cincinnati and attended Mount St. Joseph's University as a wrestling college athlete. While at Mount St. Joe's, our guest was a three-year starter, set multiple school records, and earned his spot as a 2014 NCAA All-American. His leadership as team captain and president of the Student-Athlete Advisory Committee prepared him well for his next steps as an NBA candidate and graduate. An assistant wrestling coach at Mount St. Joe's before working as the assistant director for career services at the University of Cincinnati. But his educational career was just beginning. Our guest is currently a PhD candidate in the Educational Leadership and Policy Studies program at Kansas University. His research centers on college athletics and higher education. And a quantitative methodologist, he uses college impact, sociology, and organizational behavior theories to ground his work. Broadly, his current research agenda explores college esports, social justice and college sport, and higher education governance. He's dope as fuck, and if you're in a position to hire a tenure track faculty role, highly, highly, highly recommend that this guest is your guy. When he's not reading or writing, you can find him drinking a local craft beer, building the, la- building the latest Lego set, or cheering on his Los Angeles Chargers. I met this man on Twitter. And he's been instrumental in my PhD journey since our first conversation. He is committed to preparing equity and justice driven leaders of the future. But this walk will be all about how he is bringing his authentic self in our daily fight to evolve higher education. So without further ado, y'all help me welcome future Dr. Wayne Black. What's up, homie? Man. How in the fuck did you find all of that? Like, no, I did my research, come on, you know this. You're a regular, you know this.
1: Some of that stuff, I know where you got it from, from that Twitter thread. But also I'm like, man, wait. How he, I don't even be talking about this kind of stuff. Like, how people be finding it? That's like, that's one hell
0: of an intro. I appreciate it, bro. I appreciate it. But before we go any further, a couple of things, couple of things, couple of things. I saw you got your hair cut recently, you know what I'm saying? I knew you was going to mm-hmm. come on here, one of your gold chains. So I had to pull out my special hat. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to the Ohio State University. Got my special beer. I had to crack a new one open for this conversation because I know it's got to be dope as fuck, bro. Be you know dope what? I keep a couple on me, so. You, you know what I'm saying? It's about to be a good conversation. I'm going to go get fired man. up. Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. But as you know, man, like, uh, every season, uh, particularly this season, we're starting with something new. I'm asking each of our guests, our community members, what is bringing you Black joy right now?
1: Man, for me, honestly, it's, it's watching wrestling grow among the Black community and with more Black girls getting involved. Like, that's that's what really brings me joy all the time. I, I love seeing it. you know, always see me tweeting, you know, girl wrestling, but specifically Girl Women's Wrestling. I'll tweet um, Black Wrestling Association, the BWA, You know, they're, what they have going on. That's that's just so dope to me. And to, to see how far the sport has grown when it comes to black wrestlers has been, has been dope, which I mean, the whole sport has a history of just great black wrestlers, particularly in the United States. But seeing it now, booming with social media and all that, man, that's where I get a lot of my black joy from right now.
0: It's a good time for y'all, yo. I know we're gonna we're gonna dive into it a little bit more in segment two, but the founder of the HBCU wrestling, Jahi Jones, he wrestled on Maryland. Hey, there we go. And he's on my list. You ain't got to recommend him at the end of this episode. He's already <laughs> on my list to get on, him in at uh, Dr. Ed Scott AD at Morgan State, Morgan State to be on this show because uh um, that was a big move. Man, major, major that move. Was, that was a big, big, big move. Well, Wayne, 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 we here, man. I gave a brief introduction, but for those who do not know you, and for those who need to learn more about who you are, what's your story,
1: man? I've been thinking about it since, since you know, we talked about doing a podcast, and I think that, man, my story, like, I don't know. That's that's always like every time I listen to every week. That's that's one of those questions where it's like, man. How would I ever answer that if I got asked it? So man, I um I come from a straight family. I got two um two sisters, my mom and my dad. My dad was in the military. So um that was big growing up. Like he never he never forced the military or anything like that on us, but you you get a lot of discipline growing up in the house with somebody that's in the military, like my, my dad was. Um my mom super cool. She always been supportive of pretty much everything I do. I'm the only boy, so like, you know, she just always kind of looked out for me. And then being the middle was 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 cool. I kind of got to do my own thing um, because my my sisters were they're doing their own things. But again, I'm middle, I'm the only boy, so my parents were kind of just like, hey, dude, like whatever you want to do, just be smart about <laughs> whatever you yeah. do. Yeah. Um. And so, got started. Uh, I was actually born in Germany. Like I said, my pops in the military, so I don't really remember living over there. Um. But most of my formative memories are in Indianapolis. I grew up there. Um. On the northwest side of town. It was straight. It was fun. Um. Kicking with my friends, hanging out, having fun. Um. Wrestled in high school. Really, only wrestled for two years in high school. Freshman, year, I quit. Sophomore year, I broke my ankle, couldn't wrestle. Junior year, I came out. I was uh 13 to 17 as a junior, and um my drilling partner, he made it to the state championship match, and I was like, Nah, I'm wrestling with him every day. Nah, I'm I want to do that. Like, I, I want to do what he did because we in this room together every day. So what's up? And so I told my coach, and he was like. You really want to do it? And I was like, yeah. And he said, all right, cool. Just, just be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And when you get it, you got to know how to deal with it. Um, I didn't know how, <laughs> how much that was going to impact my life. But, man, it did. So that, that offseason, so this was spring 2009. I wrestled every day from February 2009. Until fucking march two thousand fourteen, but that um not every day during that time of my life because I quit my freshman year of college, but that oh nine that spring oh nine until summer two thousand ten, bro, I was wrestling probably five, six hours of the day every day, like my whole life revolved around it um and I actually went from thirteen to seventeen to thirty seven and five um and was a state qualifier. Yeah, three of my losses came the last two since he's I also. I, I that was just ten years ago, and I still get pissed off about it. <laughs> but that was that was big because it showed me that I could do something really good. I could be really good at something. Um, and before then, I really hadn't planned on going to college because, I mean, my parents never really like pushed college on us. They were just like, you know, whatever you do, again, just make sure that you stick to it and do your best. Um, and so I ended up going to college to wrestle, and. Uh, it started off as a very short wrestling experience. <laughs> I wrestled uh, my freshman year, so I wrestled 133. and I wrestled 135 in high school, so they recruited me to wrestle 133 um, in college. And when I got there, I really wasn't used to, uh, to partying, I'm going be honest with you. When I was in high school, I mean, we would go out, like, we'd hang out, you know, but I was so focused on wrestling that I would just – wrestle my friends I would go out and wrestle and not not do nothing crazy I didn't know people drank in high school until I got to college mm-hmm. um, but then my freshman year of college I was in a whole new state I was didn't know anybody there um, and man I just got to party honestly um, and so I could not figure out how to balance both and cutting weight is hard <laughs> and so I was like after like uh, about a month in I said, nah, I'm good on this wrestling. I'm, I'm going to just kick it in and, and figure it out. And so I went to the coach, and I was like, hey, man, I don't want to – I got, really had to – I was like, I want to either go up to 41 or I don't want to wrestle. And he was like, you could try – he said, let's try making 33 and see what happens and see if you still like it. I knew – because we wrestled at the Eastern Michigan Open. This was in November 2010. I knew that – Thursday that I was not wrestling anymore after this tournament. Like I told him I was gonna wrestle that tournament, so I was gonna do it. But after that, I knew I was quitting. Like it, it didn't matter how I could have won that tournament, and I was still quitting. It, it didn't matter. And so went to the tournament. I made 33. I did all right. I went two and two. Um, but then after that, I was quit. And so I checked out for a year, and that was the best decision I think I ever made. Uh, my my dad was pissed. He was mad. We talked for a while after that, because I didn't tell him. I told my mom, but I knew my dad wouldn't have, he'd be like, now nah, you wrestling. So I ain't say nothing. And then I was at home over winter break. And he was like, yo, why are you still here? <laughs> he was like, don't you need to go back for wrestling? And I was like, oh yeah, I quit. And so we kind of, we ain't really had no fun out, but he, he, he was not happy about that. Mm-hmm. So we didn't talk for a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, But over that time, what I did, man, I really figured out how to be a college student and really figured out, like, why was I in school? And so um, I figured out, like, yo, I can come and party and still wrestle and still, you know, get get, get decent grades or whatever and be fine. And I actually started to miss wrestling. So I went back to the coach, and I was like, hey, you know, I don't want to come out this year because the season – the season didn't roll over this one because this was, this was January 2011. So I'm like, look, I don't really want to come out – but I want to come back. So could I, and what would that look like? And so he just had a real conversation with me and was like, look, you got to do X, Y, and Z in order to come back. And that's how you're going to get you a spot. So I was like, all right, cool. Fuck it. When I wrestled all off season, came back in shape. Um, and they had a pretty good career after that. I mean, my, my sophomore through senior year, I was 107 and, Forty-five twenty-two of my losses came my sophomore year. It was ridiculous. I should have never have wrestled sixty matches as a sophomore, but I did. So, yeah, ended up uh, being all American, and that—that that was kind of my career. I think this thing froze. Can you hear me?
0: I can still hear you. We're good.
1: All right. So yeah, um, all American as a senior, placed eighth. I really. Man, looking back, bro, so they placed top eight at nationals. I wrestled everyone except for the person who took six. person who took second, I beat him. person who took fourth, I beat him. I lost to the person who took first and third, and I got upset by the person who took fifth. And then um, my seventh place match, this kind of goes back to, like, how how I view myself. Like, I believe in myself more than I believe in anything, so I'm always going to bet on myself. And so we were in this match for seventh place. And literally I tied a match with 20 seconds left. It's 12 to 12. And we go out of bounds. And I look at my coach and I'm like, hey, yo, can I just let him up? And my coach was like, go ahead. And I knew letting him up, he was gonna go up 13-12. I did not care. I was like, look, I'm gonna go score this takedown or I'm not, and, and I'm gonna lose. But if I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose how I wanna lose. And so I ended up losing 13 to 12 because I couldn't get that last takedown. But what that instilled in me was, bro, you just always got to bet on yourself and whatever happened, happened. And my dad was like, I knew as soon as you got that takedown on top that you were going to let him up. He was like, you just, that's just how you are. are." And so we sat in there and we was watching the finals. um, And my way, and my dad was like, see, if you wouldn't have quit your freshman year, that would have been you in the finals wrestling right now. And I looked at him, I just remember saying, shit, if I, if I wouldn't have come my freshman year, bro, I would be here right now. So, like, we, like we you know, we, those are, those are like the big moments. Um, and then that just kind of gave me the mentality that just go get whatever you want to get and just, and just chase it. And if, as long as you're putting your best foot forward, you can't be mad at none of the results. And so that, I knew when I felt at peace at getting the All-American Trump that I was in a good space mentally. And it took me a while to get there, so I was, I was good. And then, I mean, you saw, you said the rest of my career. So that's kind of how I got to, to this point.
0: This is good. This is, that's a very good foundational um, story to get us started today. And I've never asked you this question. I think anyone, and probably ninety nine percent of people listening to this podcast episode, will ask a similar question. In that, how the hell did you get even into wrestling? <laughs> bro, I get asked that a lot. Like, like that's that's a that's you I don't look like, bad, I wrestle. But like that's an yeah, really important question.
1: Yeah, I don't look like I wrestle at all. Um, man, I had a good high school coach. I was on an all black wrestling team. high um, school? Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, we black, we was black, bro. So our coach was just really good at recruiting, and we were just all black, and it was dope and it was easy to be on the team. Like, was, I, I've never experienced anything like that after that.
0: But you started wrestling in high school. Mm-hmm. What, did you play any sports before high school? I did track in middle school. Oh, no track, that's it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, now that you said it, because you went to Pike, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, Midwest is big in wrestling. Came even in high school. I went to college, I'm like, there's no men's volleyball team? I, I volleyball. never heard of that until I got some
1: snack. Men's volleyball. I, yeah. yeah so I, like, wait, I never yeah. heard that.
0: I was like, there's no wrestling? I'm like, "What? wait, what are we doing here? Okay, now that makes sense then. But I mean, like I said before, you, you wrestled through uh, Mount San Jose, uh, spent some time at UC, uh, but now you're at Kansas um, as a doc candidate. And so just take us to why a PhD, right? Why leave a full-time job to pursue a PhD as a full-time <laughs> student, right? I mean, because again, these are important decisions to your point about, you know, uh, quitting. You say quitting, stepping out, dropping out your freshman year at Mount St. Joe's, but important decisions that have helped to shape your career. Um, since then. Uh, so why a doc go and why Kansas?
1: Man. So the why Kansas is easy. That's the only place I got in. Um, so that's, that, that's one. The first thing that was the only place I got in and, um, I really liked the flexibility that I would get in this program. And I would say the path I took to a PhD, I probably would not recommend to a lot of people. Um, because I'm not in a cohort, I'm essentially the only full-time doc student here in a PhD program. Now, we do have an EDD cohort-based program, but, and I took some classes with them, but it's still not exactly the same as being a PhD, Um, and so I had to do a lot of legwork uh, to make make my own network beyond just the campus, and they do a great job here supporting me in everything that I want to do when it comes to my research, but it's definitely a lot on me to figure out how to navigate it. But I liked that coming into the program and that, and that was a big reason why I took it on top of them being the only place that accepted me. Now, why a PhD? <sighs> That's a, so when I started, <laughs> when I started, I told you I wanted to be a college president. Um, and I knew that in order for me to be a college president, I was gonna have to get a PhD. So it was really just like, all right, you got to go check this. You got to go check this off the box to do it. Um, and how I ended up even wanting to be a college president was I got the job at UC. I was working at Upper Bound before I took that job at UC. I was mm-hmm. a, an academic advisor. So I transitioned over to UC. And I was at lunch with uh, with somebody one day. And they was like, you know, basically, like, you're a good leader. You ever thought about being like a, like a college president? Because they're like, you're going from a... Uh, at Mount St. Joseph, it was like, you're going from a, you're going to be, you were a big fish in a small pond at Mount St. Joseph, which, which very much was true. And they are like, now you're going to, you see where you're a small fish in a big pond. So what are you going to do to set yourself apart, really? Um, and then get to the conference and they were just like, you, you should consider being a cause president. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you, right? I can do that. I could definitely do that. And I was like, it'd be cool, Black cost president the title. I thought that was it, that shit sounded good. Um, but then once I got into my PhD program, so all right, so I graduated with my master's in 2015. I came back to school in 2018. So over that time I was working. Um, but in 2018, when I came back to school, the first class I took was a uh, governance in higher ed. And I really enjoy governance and higher ed. I really do. But what I realized in taking that class was I have no interest in being a college president. Do I have the, the physical, intellectual skills to do the job? Yeah, that's not, I mean, yeah, I could do that. But like the politicking and stuff like that, I'm good playing political games up to a certain point.
0: Mm-hmm. After that
1: point, I'm cool I'm not I'm not gonna try to make myself fit into these spaces. Like, I can't, I would have been giving up too much of my authentic self to pursue that. And so I was like, fuck it, I'm good on, on that. And I really like teaching and I like research. Um, and so I was like, I'm gonna just lock in on these two things and just be really, really good at them and see where my career goes from there. And so uh, I, I switched pretty quick. I switched my focus pretty quickly um, and,
0: it, and it's been, man, for me, it's been great. It's been love, honestly. So I'm, I'm going to take a segment too, um, which seems like abruptly, but it's not because it's all, it's all connected because one of the biggest things you talk about, particularly on Twitter uh, and informal and informal conversations is, um, you know, being a higher ed person, if you will, and put that in air quotes, but researching college sport. And so you talked a little bit about we're gonna get to your Twitter thread in just a second. I got I got to tee this up the right way, but you talked about wanting to pursue a doc right initially because you want to be a college president. But before we go any further talking about the intersection of higher ed and college sport or like thereof, why did you continue to choose a PhD even after you knew at some point that a college presidency was not for you?
1: Man, I was locked in, um, and. Once I, once I realized that with faculty, I would have some autonomy, I would have some flexibility and I could still kind of do what I wanted to do with my career, it was like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this. Like, I, I, I truly enjoy what I do. Like, I like research and I like teaching. Um, I like being able to engage with, engage with people nationally, whether that's through service, whether that's through Twitter conversations, those types of things. I enjoy that, and I enjoy like the the intellectual space and being able to to use research to identify practical issues and then address those practical issues. So that was why I was like, man, ain't no point in me leaving. I'm good. I like you I'm good at this. Whoa, whoa. no, <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm just staying the course and just do something else. And then if I want to, like one day, be a college president. The door is still open. It ain't, like, it ain't like I can't do it. I got I had the credentials at that point and I'll be a research one 10 track. So it's just kind of like I still I ain't really lose nothing. I wouldn't have lost anything by continuing through it. So I just stuck with it.
0: Okay, I hear you. But to your point about politics and with the with the university uh presidency, academia. <laughs> a lot I want to say about academia, but let me keep, <laughs> I'll be quiet since I'm my podcast today. But you still are choosing to pursue a doc in a structure, in a system, which I feel like we talk about every episode this season on purpose, which is great, that comes with its own politics. One of which being the intersection and or appreciation and or absence of college sport within higher ed research. Or higher ed within college sport research, however you want to take it. And so you recently, I'm not going to say you went viral, but you, I mean, you were pretty visible in your comments about uh, inter- interdisciplinary research, particularly uh, looking at how college sport is really absent in higher ed research. And so I don't want to take your words from you. And so I want you just to begin to explain to those who are listening, like what is it that you're speaking to and or about and when you shared those tweets uh, just a few days ago?
1: Man, it's one of those things that like, if you in it, you understand it, right? Sure, Like, sure. As you understand, because you do work in college athletics, but for those who don't, um, man, and this is not just, I'll say this is not just specific to college athletics, but in any discipline, if you're not studying the hot topics, it's hard for you, it's going to be harder for you to really break into those spaces, right? In higher ed, that's STEM, that's you know college access persistence um you know it's different identity-based research right like if you ain't studying that stuff then people they'll, they'll rock with you they will i'm not gonna like they not but it's just a lot harder to get into those those top tier publications that you need especially if you want to go down the faculty route um and so for me you know like I understand. And I understood that part of the game before I even got into it. Um, Like I said earlier, I'm cool playing. I'm cool politicking to a certain degree, but there are certain things I'm just not going to do. And so that that tweet thread kind of stemmed from a conversation I was having. Um, I was in a meeting that day, and we were talking about how to get more college athletic work into higher education spaces. And one of the things that came about from that conversation was, like, we want to do college athletic work, but sometimes to get into higher ed spaces, we have to not couch it as high college athletic research. We have to say it's something else and then have college athletes in it so they'll accept it. And honestly, I didn't get mad because I understand it. Um, But, you know, the idea that we have to change our research to survive in a place. I was, I was like, I'm not doing that. I said, I ain't never doing that. We, it's just, you know, I'm doing college funding research and that just is what it's gonna be. Um, and I'm not, I'm not changing up how that looks to fit into some spaces. Either the space accepts the work for what it is and understand that this is still quality work. Being a college athlete is still very much marginalized identity. It still is very much student development, it still is college impact, it's still persistence and all that good stuff, right? It's just, we're looking at a different identity group that does matter and that does fit into these spaces. Um, and so as a researcher, like, I'm not, I cannot in good faith change that, that to hide that reality. Um, and one of the, the comments back was like, I understand what you're saying, you know, and that's just something that you have to deal with the rest of your career or, you know, you, you play by their rules or don't play by their rules or create your own. <laughs> and so for me, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm the wrong person to take, create their own, because I'm gonna just figure out a way to do it. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I do know that there is a way to create interdisciplinary college athletic research that can fit in higher ed and sport management and be practically relevant. It's just figuring out the right formula to doing it and, and, and trying to be innovative and in how that can look and what that could be like. So. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been stooling on just the past. I mean, I've been stooling for probably the last like three years. But as I get into more, as I get more developed as a researcher, as I get into more prominent ish spaces where people are starting to listen to me, people who matter are listening to what I'm saying. Now I'm like, all right, look, I got to keep pushing this agenda forward because there are researchers out there who are not like me where they want to study college sport but they feel like they have to do it in a certain way to survive, right? In order to progress their career. Me personally, I don't care about that. Like I'm, my career gonna be fine regardless just because I trust myself enough to know that I'm making the right decision and can really advocate to make sure my career is right. But I know other people don't often have that same mentality. And so for me, I feel like it's my obligation to help speak up for those who might not feel empowered enough to speak up around this kind of stuff. So that's kind of where that sweet thread came from.
0: Okay. This is good because what I want to start, where do you want to start Tim? you mentioned doing college part research in a certain way, right? For though, again, we got a wide range of folks who are listening, but like, what is that certain way that you're referring to speaking about college part research?
1: So if you wanted to get into higher ed, right. Like let's say, let's say Journal of Higher Education. If you want to do college athletic research and get it published there, one you got to understand Journal of Higher Education is the cream of the crop, the top tier for higher education publications. So one, your research already has to be A one. That's number one. It cannot be. It's got to be innovative and all that stuff. But it's got to be A one to go there. Two, if you really want to study college athletics. In that space particularly, you're usually gonna look at it from a policy lens where you're looking at maybe how financial policy is affecting certain outcomes or something that's kind of a little bit more sophisticated, maybe not college athlete development type of work, but if you are gonna do that, it has to look a certain way. And so to really understand how to write for that journal, one, you gotta read it. and get a feel for what do they usually publish, um, what types of topics are they talking about, and how can college how can college athletes fit into that topic? Now that's the top of the top in higher ed. On the flip side, at least in my experience with sport management, um, like submitting to journal sport management, for them they're going to want again that's the cream of the crop for sport management, so they're going to want the best of the best type of research, anyways. But for them, that might be looking more at the the business side of college sports. Like We had a paper come out there and we were looking at game guarantees for HBCUs and PWIs, which is something that, I'm not gonna say nobody was talking about it, but I will say to our knowledge, no one had done a paper like how we had done that paper before Um, and so it it was really relevant, it was timely and it was like, yo, this this is an important issue to be addressing, right? And I think for me, in my experience, sport management has been a little more open to college athletic research, but the type of research that they want is not necessarily student development focused or student outcomes focused, it's more on the business side. And so I think to merge them both together, both fields have to be open to kind of reimagining what does a college athletic paper look like? And that's really just for the top tier journals. Like, I mean, sociology of sport journal does a great job taking college athletic work. That's really student um, development driven journal of issues and intercollegiate athletics. That's an amazing outlet to do any kind of college athletic research. But if you start thinking about tenure and what does your career mean amongst the field, I mean, you got to get into these top journals. And if you can't get into some of these top journals, then you're, options are going to be a little bit limited and and slightly handicapped.
0: So I think that that goes back into part of the politics and the truth talking talking about before, though one thing and I know um, y'all spoke about this as well on that Twitter thread is that college sport is a business, right? I think at this point, anyone that tries to debate that is just naive as hell and or not reading it, reading the wrong, whatever the case may be. And so one thing I've been more jaded about, right, and losing hope around and on is, like, if college sport is a business, how can we, and or is it even possible to center student development, right, student learning within a business enterprise?
1: I mean, right. yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, my bad, were you done? I didn't want to cut you
0: no, 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 I'm saying that, that that's one of the questions I had, but then it, but then translating that going into your um, – to our point, your point about the research piece and the journal submissions and acceptances is, like, are we wasting our time trying, trying to make something make sense that just don't make sense?
1: No, I, I don't think that – all right, so there's a couple of things. I, th- I don't necessarily inherently think college sport is a business. Is good, I, think, huh? I think that you have – the top 1% of college sports that acts like a higher education institution, but that's really a business. So we're talking power five, really your revenue generating sports, football and basketball, women's basketball, you know, at that level, I think that is a business, but because it's within a higher education institution, it has to masquerade as something that is not. And that's where we start to get a lot of some of these inconsistencies because we're trying to apply, we're trying to apply business logics into an organization that is not, Inherently designed to run as a business. So that's one of the things I look at too when it comes to studying athletic departments. It's like, why are we trying to apply business concepts to something that's not? It's 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 its own unique entity. It's not a higher education institution, it's not a business either. It's both. And you got to figure out how to make it work. There are some things you're gonna pull from each one, but the problem is they just pull from one, which is the business side, Mm -hmm. which kind of goes to your question. Yes, I do think you can infuse um, student development into the work in the same way that you would do human resources, right? Like businesses have human resource departments. Higher education is the same exact thing within college athletics It's just instead of looking at, I think you have multiple levels to look at because you have your practitioners that you got to support and you need to have development from there. But then you also got to look underneath that to infuse a student development piece into it. Now, do I think a lot of college athletic departments care about that? No, because again, they're thinking about it from a business standpoint where it's like we got to meet this bottom line, but at the end of the day, you're still a nonprofit. <laughs> like the you're still a nonprofit. So, and why are we why are, I think there's a lot of um misinformed or misaligned Values that kind of need to be restructured, but I don't ever, I don't ever see that that restructuring actually happening because there's so much money tied up in some of the stuff, particularly at the highest level. And that's really what I should say at the at that top two percent level. That's where a lot of these issues come into play. Which is not to say that the other ninety eight percent don't have issues, but it's not nearly the same as what we look at with power five schools and sports like that.
0: Okay. Let me I'll tell you a quick story. And I don't think I've ever said this, definitely not on the record. Don't believe. But I ended up, I know I was gonna get my doc at some point. And I was gonna start fall 21, super long story short, submitted a proposal to NASPA. It got denied. It was about like uh, leveraging employer relations for college athlete career development. It got denied, and the reason was there's not there's not enough research on this issue to support this presentation.
1: Yeah, research fellow What. presentation that
0: you can't have research if you don't get presentation so i said well shout out to an asshole, i said fuck you fuck y'all like i'll go do it myself and so that i literally applied that same semester fall 19 but i bring this up because one of the comments was about how we as a higher ed industry don't look at college sport professionals as student affairs educators right and my thought back to that and i'm curious to hear your thoughts about about this as well is that. I'd see us all as student affairs educators, right? Now, again, yeah, I'm in the student affairs program myself, but those within the college sports setting do not see themselves as part of student affairs. And it's not just, it not just shows up in the practice, but in the language, right? Go talk to campus. Like campus is a physical environment. Like what, like what is campus, right? So like words like academic affairs, student affairs, right? Provost, DPA, those aren't common. That's not common language within college sports athletic departments. And so going back to this piece about the research thing, mean, that's one aspect of it. But in practice, like the people within the actual industry doing the work day to day don't even see themselves, don't see ourselves as part of a larger institution that's dedicated to facilitate college athlete um development. And so as a as a, go ahead, as a researcher and scholar, I mean like what are your thoughts? Like, what are you thinking when I when I share that, particularly about current practice in 2021?
1: So the funny thing is that comment didn't come up because of what People, what people who work in athletic departments think. We were, so we were in an ad session two weeks ago, uh, and, and it was dope. I was, I, I really, again, I tweeted this. You had to have be been in that room to understand how dope that conversation was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was fire. Um, Dr. Zini, she had said, she had said that higher education, he says student affairs doesn't consider athletic professionals as student affairs professionals.
0: Mm, talk about it.
1: So we we kind of were talking through just like what does that disconnect really look like or, or why is there a disconnect but if you think about it it makes a whole lot of sense um, when we consider how siloed and man this is again i hate i hate couching everything within power five division one sports but that's really what that's really what we're talking about here we're uh, not talking about all college right. sports and i and i have to say that nuance because it really does matter yep, we're right. not talking about all college sports all college sports at every level do not always have these issues. They just appear most frequently at the, the big schools. And those are the ones that get the most attention, the most notoriety. So I say all that to say we were really thinking through, like, why is this an issue? But, again, it makes sense when we think about where's your athletic department related, located compared to the rest of the campus. It's usually not in a very central spot to where someone – if I worked in – student life right it wouldn't necessarily be super easy for me to get to the athletic department like here at KU, their the athletic department is like way not, it's not off campus but it's definitely not in a central spot okay you gotta do a little bit of work to get over there so those physical barriers really do matter um and they put a put a barrier in place also the work is super siloed, right like in student affairs you're kind of taught to to be collaborative, to work with others. But in college sports, y'all kind of, not y'all is you, but just the field is mm-hmm. like, look, I got my student athlete development. We here, I got these sports. Look, you got basketball. Don't go talk to the tennis player about nothing. Mm-hmm. You talk to basketball, right? Mm-hmm. And if, mm-hmm. if I catch you talking outside of basketball, we'll have a problem, right? So I think those little silos, those unspoken rules really do put another barrier in place because it's like, uh, why can't I go talk to this person? who's Probably a little bit more equipped than me to handle this. Like, I a lot of that stuff, mean a lot of them little practices that they got in place, the class check-in, the, the athlete academic advisor, yeah, they're doing the exact same thing that what a student affairs advisor would do. But... Is like, look, we're in this confined space. Like, you just focus on athletes, and sure, we can say that we can say that this is for supporting the athlete, right? But is it is it really supporting the athlete? Not really. I think it's doing a little bit of hand-holding, and you're hindering their development. Number one, because if I can't schedule my own classes, and you done done it for me the last four years, what am I doing this time to get a job? Again, not saying this is all college athletes. I'm just saying the system and the process that's in place. This is what it hinders, right? And again, we're couching it as, "Oh, this is here to support the college athlete." One, you're not; you're hindering their development. And two, you don't—not the people who are actually doing it, but the policy itself—is not there to support the athlete. It's really there to control them and to to limit their ability to kind of get off path, right? If I can. If I can monitor everything that you do, I can see, okay. I can make sure you're not missing this class. I can make sure that you're eligible, right? Because if I'm a coach or if I'm an administrator and I have, a, a, a let's say, a $100,000 bonus for getting my whole team to have a, a 3.0 GPA, uh, what the fuck? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that $100,000 <laughs> Right, Lane. And and that's even weird. I think that's an even weird um, incentive to have because why is a coach getting paid an extra $100,000 for their team to have a 3.0 GPA? That's like two positions right there that you could hire somebody for. Mm
0: -hmm. Or
1: that's that's 10 bonuses Mm -hmm.
0: that you could give out
1: to the academic advisors who are actually there and working with the college athletes dealing with some of the bullshit that coaches go through and i know because i'm a coach and i'm sure i've given some people hell Mm behind some
0: stuff
1: right like we could just better support these people who are already burnt out who are feeling overworked who don't feel valued right like it just all these mechanisms and processes and policies that are in place to again that are couched as hey we're doing this to support college athletes is not here to support a college athlete it's there to support eligibility it's there to keep players playing and if that's the case all right cool fine if that's if that's what we're gonna call it if we're gonna call spade a spade let's call spade a
0: spade right
1: yeah. like if we're gonna talk turkey then let's talk turkey there's no need to masquerade around as something that we're not and that's where i think it goes back to having values that are misaligned because again we're saying that this top two percent is really all about academics and athletics but it's not it's really about athletics and again that's fine if that's what if that's what it's going to be let it be that but just own it like they say yeah. live in your truth <laughs> just mm-hmm. live in that and and let it be what it is
0: yeah it's not supporting student development it's, i mean and you said it without saying it but it's, it's at least in my opinion supporting an investment a financial investment especially for those who are on scholarship uh, so, again, whether it's GPR, um, sorry, APR, GSR, those are all tied to financial models that <laughs> is neoliberal, capitalistic, whatever words you want to choose to put in that in that space, but don't support, I think, the mission of higher ed, which I think is learning, right? Obviously, education, career readiness, career development. Um, but as someone who studies at the intersection of college sport and higher ed, we've seen higher ed evolve Um <laughs> by choice and by force tremendously over the last 24 months, right, whether that's online distance learning, changing generational um, environments, work ready students, social justice movements on campus. And so how do you, uh, as someone, again, as a scholar studying at this intersection, see college sport falling in line with these changes to mirror what's happening within a larger higher education setting? I mean, that's a good
1: one. That's a good one because I think there's a lot of different ways, right, that, we, we see that I was I just did a guest lecture on socialization and higher ed sociology and higher ed last week and we kind of talked about this where we look at like why are certain things changing the the technical word for it is isomorphism right mm-hmm. but we don't need to say isomorphism when we know that it simply just means adapt right like, that's one that's one of these me off about the academy too I mean we, we make all these super complicated words to say some super, some super simple shit like bro stop playing like you're just making this super classes and trying to block people out. Cut the shit. So anyway, that's the end of that rant. But
0: yeah, go ahead.
1: All right. So we know we know that that colleges are going to adapt, whether they again like they choose to, whether they're forced to, or whether they're following someone else. And so with college athletics, I think that you'll see more activism happening and it being more well received better received than it has been in the past right um i mean if you look at if you look at college athlete activism during the civil rights movement you know that was not that was not well taken the wyoming 14 that was they were treated horribly kareem abdul jabbar treated horribly during those times and it really i don't think it limited what they did, because they still had a huge and trum- humongous impact, right? But people really pushed back against that. And even, you know, when we start start to see the rise of cause African activism again in 2015, with what was happening at Missouri, with ha- what happened with Northwestern, you know, mm-hmm. that got a little bit of pushback as well. Um, but again, the, the time within the climate was different, right? It was like, yo, activism is too too radical oh black lives matter what are y'all doing this is no this is not acceptable this is not acceptable at all last summer we saw an a, a crazy amount of activism and it was not it was not negatively anticipated right like some some people did push back depending on what you're talking about like the eyes of texas that was never going to go over <laughs> well down there but that's texas so i mean so that's what
0: you know you yeah, yeah, know what that goes. is mm-hmm.
1: but with the the we are united statements um that we want to play you know those were those were moments of activism where people got behind each of those groups and really galvanized them to to push for change whatever that change was now there was obviously a little bit of, of friction and resistance because one group was really focused on for me providing social justice and equity and things like that while others really focused on playing but it doesn't matter their goals at the end it was a moment of athletes coming college athletes coming together across the country to mobilize in ways that we had never seen before up until really that point I mean we had seen before like I said in the the 60s and civil rights but again that even looked different um but seeing how it how it happened last year was crazy and there's just been more of it, whether it was, um, the women's NCAA basketball Mm -hmm. tournament, that's Mm -hmm. a form of activism and it galvanized people behind women's college sports and really changed their entire situation. I mean, they got new equipment and all that. They got, they got the facilities that they should have been getting one, um, which was was awesome. But then also, you know, you had that gender report that came out, I don't know, two, three, maybe four weeks ago. Um, where the NCAA has said that there have been a lot of of different gender inequity. No shit. I mean, we knew that. But having these moments of of athletes, college athletes specifically, using their voice to bring awareness to these issues, I think will continue to be well-received. And college athletic departments will support it. Although, I do think that we have to be very cautious around that support because of why you're supporting it. (laughs) <laughs> like why are you supporting it now we were not doing it before are you truly doing it because you support the college athlete or are you doing it because there's a financial incentive to do it because activism is is a hot topic because social justice is a hot topic that's where I think we have to start being really critical and intentional about how are we supporting college athletes and why are we supporting them in this way mm-hmm. um so I, I think that's one way you'll start to see it adapt in a way that, um, I mean, your your general higher education campus still deals with activism and doesn't always accept it the best, but it's still a little bit better than what college athletic departments was, where it was like, look, y'all do this, you're out of here,
0: yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so mm-hmm.
1: I think that's going to change. Um, I also think that we're going to get, you know, and going back to, a little broader of society but i think we'll get way more women involved in leadership um i think that's a a huge thing that is that is coming to college athletics i think it's great for college athletics um as some of these i'm not gonna say older but let's say seasoned athletic directors and people who have been in these roles start to transition out there's a wave of of personnel of people who are coming in to start things fresh and I think women are leading that charge and it's dope to see it, you know, and I look at, I look at y'all department, for example, what y'all got going on and and how y'all at Maryland really do a a phenomenal job, at least from the outside, looking in with student college athlete development. Right. And who, who leads y'all? A phenomenal woman who's doing some great shit. So it's Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. I, I think we'll start to see more of that. And, um, just continuing to see more diverse leaders stepping into these spaces that are younger, that, you know, have a chip on their shoulder who are really looking to, to create change. I think now is, maybe maybe we won't see the next, like, two or three years, but even then I think what we'll see in the next two or three years is going to be radically different than what we see now. Um, but I would say over the next, like, 10, 15 years, man, I think college sports is going to look a lot different than what it does right now. And that's what I'm excited about and
0: just trying to figure out how can I contribute to that? Yeah, I mean, I hope it looks a lot different and that it's not extinct. I'll say that, number one. Uh, But two, I won't speak on behalf of Risa, but I will. She don't want to be AD. Mm -hmm. But if someone hears this podcast episode and wants to uh, recruit Risa to be athletic director... I hope it's a school in Hawaii because I'm coming with her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's why I didn't say her that because she didn't want to be one. <laughs> no, she wanna,
0: she's been she's been emphatic as hell about that shit. She don't want to be one, but if it is at, Hawaii, at I'm all, pick her up because I'm coming, yo. Man, she's doing such
1: a great job out there. I was like,
0: man, y'all doing that. But, but we having fun. I mean, that's I think
1: what it that's, is, bro. You're
0: having fun, and it's
1: clear y'all having fun. That's what we need, <laughs> bro. That's what we need, man. People having fun.
0: I'm like, what's up? It's not gonna stress me. out. this shit fun, This shit's fun to me. And the athlete's look at me like I'm crazy. I told the athlete today, bro. I said, I gave her some instructions on um, I think a building resume, whatever the hell it was. I said, Are you 21? She said, Yeah. I said, All right, you know what I'm saying? Like at some point over the next, you know, 30 days, I don't know, pour up a glass of wine, put the summer walker on, and just knock your LinkedIn out. <laughs> knock your resume out. Uh, She's like, Oh, are you with you with this shit? I'm like, What you mean? <laughs> I'm telling you what I do. Like, it just, it's not complicated.
1: It don't, and it don't have to be. That's my thing, bro. Like, this does not have to be complicated. I swear. I swear it doesn't. It just, be open to possibility. Be open, to me, be open seeing something that you've never seen before. Mm. Like, that's, that's really what I hope higher education and sport management and college athletic researchers in general and practitioners as well, yeah. things, But I hope yeah. all of this, you know, just is open to seeing something that they've never seen because that, that's that's
0: what we can create. Yeah, man, that's where we're headed to. But the one thing, I, the last thing I'll say about, um, I think how college sport will continue to either mirror and align with the evolving nature of the overall higher education enterprise, um, not just with the activism, but with those who choose to engage in activism. And I initially speak to and think about international athletes. And I've been very upfront about this shit. It's not a secret, whatever. But I think we're going to, I would not be surprised. And I think we probably got 12 to 18 months until international athletes begin to engage in more explicit and more front facing activism. Because what they are realizing and discovering right now, going back to your whole issue or whole point about socialization within college sport, is that they're not just college athletes. Like their F1 status comes first in how they're governed in the, and they're starting to realize, like, whoa, 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 what's it mean to be F1 student? Like, what's it mean, you know what I'm saying, to get this paperwork signed? And that's been the most intriguing, intriguing thing to watch. Because, like, whoa, why, why can't I do this? It's not my it's not athlete's status, it's my visa status? What's this really mean? And I think that's something that we're going to continue to see, bro. I'm calling oh, it right now. Get people to ask questions.
1: Just question everything. Like, I, anytime I talk to, <laughs> to doc students who are just starting or masters, I'm like, yo, man. Ask, like, just ask. Do not be, don't just take what they give you. you like, you have power in this. It's, if you want to know, ask. Because, I mean, here's the thing, worst case. Worst case, right? They tell you no or they don't answer your question and you're in the exact same spot you are already in. But at least you ask. Now, best case scenario, you ask and maybe you get some change, maybe you get some information you can use and leverage, who knows, but you at least got to be willing to ask and challenge and push kind of what your reality is. And I say that, I guess, kind of in a place of privilege where, like, I feel like I can do that in most spaces that I walk into. Like, if I get into a space and there's something that kind of look like fucked up or look a little shady to me, I have no issues bringing that up, like, at all. Like, what's, what's, what's going on? Somebody somebody, tell me. And again, whether they answer me or not, it doesn't matter, but I always try to push in, push boundaries when I can to make it a little bit more socially justice, a little more socially equitable
0: for Yeah, people. But, I think, but I think that goes back to in, in we're gonna have a I'm gonna have a whole like doc student series at some point uh, sooner or later. But it goes back to I think when I asked a doc student this recently, like I once I said like fuck this PhD respectfully, my life changed forever. Like this experience changed forever. Cause I wasn't tied to the grade, tied to the research. Having, again, having fun. But you said that much earlier in your doc program, which I think, going back to your, your point about the whole privilege piece, it's like, I'm going to ask. Like, fuck it, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. But there are people who are scared to ask because their identity, their words, whatever, is tied to this degree program. You know what I'm saying?
1: Bro, I've been Wayne Black way longer than I've been a PhD. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been Wayne Black 30 years, bro. Like, <laughs> this, this, this PhD is not does not define me. This is it's dope. It's cool to have three letters in front of your name or two <laughs> letters in a period. yeah. yeah. But, but bro, at the end of the day, I'm gonna always be Wayne Black, bro. That's that's just me. And somebody told me, that's like, I just, I just wish I had like 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 an ounce of the confidence you have. And i will be like, man, look, my name is my name. Like my, my parents named me this, and that's just how I go about it. Like, I just really look at everything like, yo. If, if 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 my name is on it, it it has to be, to me, to a certain standard. And so, I'm bro. I always leave it at that. Like, look, it don't matter what I'm doing. Whether I'm getting a PhD, man, I could be selling ice on the corner. Like, bro, it's gonna be the best ice in the corner. Period. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's just how I always have operated. And so, like, I don't. I never get caught up in this whole PhD shit. Like, bro, at the end of the day. I'm a black man. I mm-hmm. ain't black. And mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm just authentically myself. And I try to always be I ask myself one question every day. Constant reminder. Or it's not even a question. It's just, look, it, it causes zero to be a good person today. Mm-hmm. To be a good person. And that's, that's how I go into it. And I will say Twitter has up with that, particularly in the academy, because I follow a lot of people who are kind of like, fuck it. I'm going to just be me. And once I saw them start doing it, it was like, cool, they good. I'm cool. And that's, you know, as long as I make sure I do good work, it don't matter. Fuck. Like it don't matter what I say. If if my work is good, people know my name. Like that's why I just tweet about bullshit all the time. Whatever comes in my head. Like I just tweeted. And sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. But at the end of the day, people know
0: sure.
1: when, when I when I do get serious and when it is time to talk turkey. People know to listen and they know that I'm not bullshitting, but that's because I do good work as well. And I've also take time to improve my work, whether that's DMing people on Twitter, having these phone calls, asking why, like, like, how are you doing this? And really thinking about my strategy and why I do the things that I do when it comes to my work, bro. And once I realized that shit, it was, I mean, it was right. couldn't tell me nothing.
0: No worries, a little baby, man. When it's time to handle business, I zone in. Man. I'll be chilling. When it's time to handle business, I zone in, bro. bro i be big chilling. But when it's
1: time to walk in, nah, I, I
0: mean, hey, but check, <laughs> hey, check this out, man. Segment three. Segment three, segment three. Your dot candidate. or your dope ass person, man. Great mentor, peer mentor, silent mentor. Shout out to Dr. Neff Walker. I'm Auntie. We... Yeah, that's Auntie for real. But how can we, how can I best support you, man? I mean, you're out in the corner, um, but you're human first. So how can we best support you right now?
1: Man, bro, doing, doing what you're doing. You know, creating the space to have these conversations. I know people say that all the time, but that's that's one thing for sure that I appreciate about you and the work that you do, bro. you you always looking out. You know, I hit you up. was like, I saw you doing your uh, workout accountability. I hit you up, was like, hey, look, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. I need to, to hit me up on these days. Whoop, whoop, boom, you've been good with that. So that's one way, you know. Just continue doing you, bro. And then for me, um, man, support other doc students that want to get into the work. Just you know, yep. as I ha- as I help as others have helped me, I try to do the same with others. So I put that back on others too. Just like I help you have conversation with you about your research mm-hmm. about whatever. All I ask is that when the next person come up, you help them with the same thing, because that's We are we all gonna end up in leadership roles one day. Hence why I started that group chat. yep. We're all gonna end up in leadership roles. And I think that everyone in that group is a, a, a leader who really could do some great shit. So I like having us all together, but I do want us all to continue to help bring others into that space. Because the more of us we can get into these spaces, the more liberatory, the more socially just these spaces are going to be. And then, man, last thing for real, support, support, support women's wrestling and black wrestling. Follow your local high schools. Follow your colleges. Just check it out and see what it's like. Because, man, it's fun. It's different. It's definitely different. It take a little bit of uh It take a little bit of uh, getting used to. But man, that 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 joint saying my life, man, showed open so many doors for me and really helped turn me into the person that I am today. So I, I support others in wrestling. Learn a little bit more about it.
0: That's real. Hey, I appreciate the uh, the compliment. And though we did not have time to dive deeper into uh, wrestling, particularly in the Black community, this episode. We will, we will have that conversation at another time, but I will be sure to have that conversation with Jahi Jones and or Dr. Scott and Morgan yes. State on your behalf. Definitely, definitely I, get them I believe them all. That, that. That shit definitely coming. But you know this season, man, before we bounce, we got a few uh, quick hitters for you. And the first one, your favorite sports memory. Man, my favorite sports memory. As an athlete, Athlete, uh, spectator, uh, either in person or on on TV. Like what's your favorite sports memory. My what favorite sports
1: it? memory for as an athlete was was becoming all American. Easy, because so, uh, yeah. there was a lot that went into that. From almost got kicked off the team as a senior, almost quit as a senior. So that was that was my favorite one as an athlete. As a coach, um, coaching my first state placer. Mm. That was. That was amazing because I trust him. I told him, look, he trusted me, and I told all of them, look, y'all come to practice, there extra 15 minutes every twice a week. I'll get you to stay, and I'll get you on the podium. And they trusted me, and they did. And so that was – that. Was, those are my two favorite memories.
0: So, Coach, Coach Black, okay. Your top five artists, top five artists, no order, just top five overall.
1: In life or right now?
0: In genre? Man, this always is <laughs> We'll see. Awesome. Say. We'll say what I mean, we'll say in life. We'll say in life. All
1: right. All right, all right, all right. All right. I'm gonna just go with rap.
0: That's fine.
1: Because that's that's a little easier. Whew. This is not in any order. Um I'm definitely putting Jeezy on there because he's my favorite artist of all time. Period. Jeezy. Um whew. I'm going to throw Rick Ross on there as well. Okay, These are just my favorites, man. So, if you hear this, I'm not saying these are the best, man. These are just my top hey, five. Yeah,
0: your top five. Yeah, your favorite. Right. Ones, Start bro.
1: mentioning me or nothing like that. This is just my top five. My nut. I want to say I'm going to throw Drake in there. Uh-huh. Um, oh, you got to throw Lil Wayne. This is all shit, too. I, I'm not like I don't listen to all stuff. stuff. Um, what's that, four? I said Rick Ross, Drake, Jeezy, Wayne. Wayne, Yep. Yeah. Man, it pains me to say this. It does. He's been blowing me lately, but I gotta put Kanye West in there. He gotta be. Man, on there, <laughs> man I, that 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 first, those first like four albums, man, that's, that's that's crazy, man.
0: That's crazy. He he get on my
1: nerves, man. He get on my nerves. Him and Lil Wayne, they be lying, man. They just be lying. They's a bunch of liars.
0: <laughs> yeah, Kanye gotta be on there for sure. But Wayne, I mean, I'm sure you had a lot. You had a lot of fun growing up. Quoting Wayne versus but a name like Wayne. So, growing up, man. I, I mean, even Wayne, now man. too. But I mean, I'm saying now, when this shit was dropping, like you know, new release, like.
1: Bro, in like 06, 05, 06, Man, man,
0: man! It was, what a time! What a time! Crying. All right, you going to Bottomless Brunch? Bottomless Brunch. Uh, the tab is paid. The bill is paid. You plus five people. Who are you bringing?
1: James Baldwin for sure, um that's one it's I get five, yep, all right, so yeah, we got James Baldwin in there. um I would have to throw Malcolm X in as well um man, this is where it gets a little harder for me. I would honestly. Love to sit down with like Tony Braxton. Mm. Cause she's like my number one favorite rock of all time, Tony Braxton. Um she gotta be there. And she gotta sing if she comes. She has to sing. <laughs> um man. Spike Lee, because I love a lot of his movies.
0: That's a good one. No one said that uh, yet. It's a really good one. So that's
1: four Spike Lee, Malcolm X, James Baldwin, Tony Braxton. I gotta get another woman in there, for sure. Damn, Tim, this is hard.
0: It's <laughs> so many it is. There's so many people. Bottomless brunch. You plus five. Well, you only need one more.
1: I know, but that's hard. That's that's always the hardest one. The first ones you can run off is easy. Man. Man,
0: man, 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 man. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna put in I'm gonna put in for you. Put in that list, I'm gonna put Don Staley in there for you. Oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. In that list, yeah. I'm with that. Yeah, hell yeah. That that would be lit. That would be Don lit. Okay. That's, a, that's that's okay. A, that's, that's, okay. A, that's just
1: South Carolina time. I'm I'm cool
0: with that. That's a dream guest on the pod. It's gonna happen though do if do once Don's still on this podcast, I'm retiring the podcast, bro. As yeah, you should. Hey, Man, that's a, mic care. That's a <laughs> oh, Boom. Boom. Don't still be coming, yo. Uh but last question, future Dr. Wayne. Who do you want to see and or hear from on the walk with TFB podcast?
1: Man, so I got two people. It's depending yeah. on how you how you want to do it. So I think that uh Dr. Kishana Gray would be dope to talk about esports. Like, I mean, I'm dope to talk about esports, but she's super dope to talk about esports. Um, and she's real authentic. Um, or, uh, Dr. Lou Moore. He is one, he's, he's funny as fuck, but his work just around athlete activism, black athlete activism, and really history. Yeah, bro, he's he's, he's super dope. Um, I can think others, but you only asked me for
0: one. Doctor Gray, you know Doctor Gray? Yeah. Help me get Doctor Gray.
1: Oh, that's easy. I'll say less. I will send a text and get that done.
0: Send her a text. I, don't, I gotta get her on. It'll be late December, early January. Yeah, she she's
1: her book, Intersectional Tech, is is fire. She's super dope. She's a uh, she got a lot of energy. She down to earth as hell too. All right,
0: man. She she'll be authentic for sure. Let me nah hit Kashan, Yo, she gonna be on. I bet she'll do. i ask her. She's gonna be on for sure. All right. Well, before we head out, man, anything else you want to share with the people, man? Anything else you want to share with our folks who are listening to today's episode? Man, go read our
1: paper. Inside it. So we got a paper in journal sport management called Black Tax Game Guarantees Um between PWIs and HBCUs. Go read that paper. Actually, don't even read the whole thing. Read the introduction and read the discussion. That's it. The rest of that stuff, you really don't need to read. Check it out. Cite it. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend because that one, that's a good paper. Journal of Sport Management. Check us out. Me and Dr. Willis A. Jones down at University of Miami. We wrote that and it uh, came out last month, maybe a month half ago.
0: I see that shit now. All right, the PDF is not accessible. Send me the PDF and I'll share it with anybody oh, who uh, wants, to, wants to check that out. That's nothing. But Dr. Wayne, featured Dr. Wayne, man, thank you for joining us today. Um, I'll probably start a segment next season. Uh, I got I need to make sure I quote the right person, but uh, give you their flowers. Um, you were someone, man, who I reached out to about qual research. You didn't dumb it down, because I'll be disrespectful to what you did, but you helped to put a goddamn, like, black man, like, understanding like, how this shit works. And once that happened, it was a wrap. I got A in that damn class. I don't even like grades, but I got A in that class. 95, 98, and teacher was like, oh, shit. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I know that shit works now.
1: I'm glad I could help, bro. Like I said, we put we put so much dumbass shit in this super complex language where it don't have to be. I'll be like, bro, it's a regression analysis. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, okay, it predicts this. It If this goes up, if this is negative, that means for every one unit increase, this is going to go down. If it's positive <laughs> for every one unit increase, it's going to go up. Like, this ain't, I mean, I, I get it, but, man, I, I do not teach like that at all.
0: Like, nah, like I said, I, I'm giving you your flowers, bro. I ain't gonna, we ain't gonna talk about the pedagogy uh, <laughs> and, and the research and the data and all that. We ain't gonna, we ain't gonna go there right now. But like I want to say thank you, for real because you definitely helped to ex- accelerate not just my learning, um, but how I'm able, how I'm now able to use fall research in my everyday practice. So thank you, bro. Sir, glad I can help, brother. Keep
1: fighting the fight.
0: We just, yeah, having fun doing so, bro. I'm having fun, really like having that. Fun. Bro doing so but for everyone else thank you again for tuning in to another episode of walk with tfb i definitely look forward to having more fields of conversation with authentic people authentic educators at that since in our education sport and culture Um, but as always until then walk with me